Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I think that one of the things as an artist that you ask of people is that they think about that from a from a human standpoint and not necessarily from like a, an art, artistic standpoint exactly. Um, you know, anytime you're used to the last album that somebody put out and then they put out something that's s- significantly different, you know, people get a little put off by it, a little scared of it, a little like, well, it wasn't what I was expecting and it's hard for them. But, you know, what I hope that people realize is that, you know, we're all, we're all people and we're all changing and growing and, and that includes the music that we make. So I think if somebody's making the same record over and over and over again, then it probably feels pretty inauthentic. Welcome concert goers and music fanatics. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Yesterday's Concert, trumpet legend Jennifer Hartswit talks her new album, Jamming, in 20-plus years with Trey Anastasio. Grab your earplugs, because there's something in the water. Well, welcome, Jen. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, we're just going to start off with a little bit of icebreaker, some fun questions just to get comfortable and get going. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. So first question, you're already an incredibly skilled instrumentalist, but if you have a genie gave you snap of a finger, you can be like a virtuoso with any instrument. What are you picking? That's a good question. Can I pick the one that I already played that I'm not a virtuoso <laughs> Like, can I say? I would disagree. Can I say trumpet and just be a much better trumpet player? I'll I'll let that one slide, but I would argue the <laughs> otherwise. So we'll just let it slide then. I just like to be better at that. Was, well, be you're already that. fantastic. So what's a, what's the second one? Like, what's something else that would be fun to learn? Um, piano for sure. I used to play piano when I was a little kid, and I just wish it was one of those things I wish I kept up. My aunt is a monster classical pianist. Very cool. And every time I see her, I just like, I, I just think, God, I wish I could do one tenth of that. I piano. think that's like every little like adult story is like, I played the I piano know. as a little kid, right. and then I stopped. Right. I was an idiot. Right. Like, I feel like so. Yes, Everybody good choices. That story. I get it a lot with I people approach me a lot and say, I used to play trumpet in high school or I played trumpet in band and then it was too hard and I gave it up. But um, even, you know, people who are musicians, we all have that story about yeah. something, you know? Sure. Okay. So second question, this was inspired by a couple of tracks off your new album. So okay. which is the superior type of love song? Soft and sweet, kind of like Elvis Presley's Love Me Tender? Or funky and soulful, like Al Green's Let's Stay Together? Well, I guess it sort of depends on who you are and what mood you're in. Yeah. Um, I think it's the hardest thing to do to write a successful, sweet love song. Okay. So many can come out, you know, cheesy and sounding inauthentic and you know what I mean? So I think, I would say soft and sweet is like a... To me, that's harder and, and mm-hmm. maybe means more, you know? Okay. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's one popular song that you think would be taken up a notch if you added some trumpet to it? <laughs> one popular song. That would indicate that I listen to popular music. <laughs> uh-huh. It can be from like 
a bygone era. It can be from like the seventies yeah, or sixties. Need some trumpet in his life. I think Bieber. Yeah. Because now everybody's starting to do it. It's like the Lizzo record has yeah. trumpets all over it. Uh, Harry Styles record has trumpets all over it. So I think Bieber needs to step up his game. Get some trumpet action on there. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. I am available. I'm very expensive. <laughs> but I'm available, but he can afford me. I'll pass the word along. I'll make sure that that gets to his people. Thanks so much. (laughs) Okay. So what's the most challenging tab song to perform for you? Ooh, goodbye head. Like no question about it. Really? What's challenging about it? Uh, First of all, it's so repetitive, but every time is different. Um, So in my mind, I think it's this one because we don't use music anymore. Like we, yeah. we haven't had any sort of sheet music in front of us in years. <clears throat> and wow. so we're pulling, uh, you know, there's hundreds of songs in that catalog. And that's the one that every single night I pray that he doesn't just pull out of his <laughs> butt sometimes. <laughs> but that's why. Have you gone and like nudged him like, Trey, can we not do that one again? Like. We finally talked about it like two weeks ago for the first time ever. Really? I have this like panic attack before we start every night. And I think like, I don't have any idea if I could pull this off. And we talked about it in soundcheck the other day. And I said, listen, I have stored that song in particular at a very remote place in the back of my brain that doesn't <laughs> see the light of day. And so if you're going to call it, I really wish that we could run it once before. <laughs> uh, well, that's good and- to know. He knows at least. It doesn't mean he's gonna um, yeah. honor that request. <laughs> but yeah, that's the hardest for sure. Cool. Okay, so I asked this question because I listened. Somebody has an audience tape of your recent performance at Red Rocks, and I just mm-hmm. attended my first show at Red Rocks last week. Nice. So, what? This is a two-part question. What is your favorite venue to perform in, and what's your favorite venue to go see a concert at? You made that really easy with that setup because <laughs> both the same. This that's the same answer to both questions. Yeah, uh, Red Rocks is by far the greatest venue to perform at that I've yeah. performed at, and also I have had probably played there. I played there like several times a year mm-hmm. for almost twenty years at this point. I'm very, very, very lucky. Yeah, um, but I had never seen a show, and so. Maybe like five years back, um, I went to my first show there. I bought tickets and went to my first show, which was um, Jason Isbell. Oh, fantastic. And I did what everyone has to do, which is I hiked up the mountain. Oh, yeah. And then like all the way to the top and then back back down to my seat. Because when you're lucky and you're an artist, there's a van that takes you the whole way up to backstage, which I've done countless times. And I thought it gave me a whole new um, appreciation yes. for people to come who come to music there. I was like, every single time yes. you come here, you have to hike up this mountain. Yes. You really have to want to come to this. And it made me really grateful for for people who buy tickets and do the hike every time you want to come see us. So thank you, everybody. Well, that's it's funny you say that because I, that morning I had gone and hiked around Red Rocks. And then since yeah. the venue was open, I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and go to the top and check it out. Yeah. So I yeah. came from like the south entrance all the way to the very top. And yeah. I got to the top and my heart, my watch was like freaking out. It was like, your heart rate's at like 180. <laughs> you need to sit down. And I was just like, okay, okay, I'll sit down. Like it, it was so intense. So yeah, I completely, yes, I can yeah, validate all of that. Um, and. And people, I don't know if there were people there when you were there earlier in the day, but people mm-hmm. have, there's yoga classes up there. Yes. There's people who run the stairs. I've seen this dude run the stairs up and then he runs them backwards 
Yes. Like he runs backwards, doesn't turn around and runs all the way down and doesn't even have to look. He's done it so many millions of times and almost does it as fast on the way down as he does on the way up. It makes no sense. Well, there was a guy crawling on all fours down. And oh, yeah? people people are taking pictures and then he got up and he's like, I don't understand why people are taking pictures of me. He's like, dude, you're crawling on all fours down this incredibly steep mountain. What are you talking yeah, about? Kind of fascinating, wild. sir. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, you're yeah. a freak of nature. We're gonna take yeah. your picture. Just enjoy yeah. it. So just, I mean, he was he's good looking. Just enjoy it, man. You're photogenic. Yeah. Get it on. <laughs> so yeah. It'll inspire us more people to start crawling down the mountain. It'll exactly. Exactly. Okay. So this one, you've probably gotten asked it a lot, but I'm going to ask it because I'm just curious. You shared the stage with a lot of legendary artists, Herbie Hancock, Tom Petty, Carlos Santana, the Stones, so on and so on. What's one of those that really stands out more than the other ones? Santana. Really? Santana. Yeah. Because um, we didn't know he was coming until right before he came. We were at the Warfield. Oh, a year cool! Ago. Actually, um, I think there's a there's a f- not a like a film film that came out, but I think there's footage of it that got released. Um, yeah, we were at the Warfield, um, and he rode his motorcycle to to the gig and came in and chatted with everybody beforehand. And when he he came on stage, you know, and he and he and Trey have a long, long, long history because Fish opened for Santana for like two years all around the world. Um, and he got to play with him every night. And and um, anyway, so he's known him for a really long time. And we had a really great hang. And then he stepped out on stage kind of early on in the set. And we just were not a band that necessarily segues from song into song into song, but we segued into every single song that night. So he wouldn't leave the stage. That's so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so cool. So all of a sudden now there's just Santana sitting within, in with us for like 45 minutes because we never stopped the song to let him off the stage. Oh, that's so awesome. Pretty sure that wasn't a mistake. I'm pretty sure that was, that was that's very awesome. much on purpose. Yeah. Uh, but we were just like an incredibly special night. He yeah. seems like an incredibly like gentle and kind soul. Is that yeah. the reality behind him? Like, yeah, I mean, everything that I saw, yeah. Okay. Um, like, kind of when he walked in the room, nobody heard footsteps, kind of thing. You know, it's just uh, he just yeah. glided, <laughs> he just glided, <laughs> he glided out, and nobody ever. Yeah, yeah. It was he's a he's a really interesting fellow. Okay, so this is another cliche one, but I'm curious: what's somebody you haven't? like a big name that you haven't been able to collaborate jam with that you would love to Stevie wonder. Number one, Stevie wonder. I like, you didn't even have to think about that one. Like this is something that keeps you up at night. Top of top of the bucket list written down on every wall in my house. Not even a vision board. I just call (laughs) it on my wall. Stevie wonder is on every wall. What song would you pick? What song would you do? With oh, them? God, I don't even care if it was like it could be three blind mice. I don't care. That wasn't a blind. Joke. I'm sorry. You know, I was going to say, here's what my thought process was. I was going to say happy. It could be happy birthday. But I was like, no, Stevie Wonder does a version of happy birthday. So it shouldn't be that. So I came up with three blind mice. This is welcome to my brain. Anyway, uh, hot cross buns. We'll say hot cross buns. I'm uh I'm holding out for three blind mice. Okay, now. cool. That's, um, that's that's my that's my goal for you now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, so 
I've been doing this podcast for a little while. A couple of episodes ago, we had a fun game where I got some old friends on and we threw a bunch of artist names into a hat and we're drawing them out two at a time to okay. say like, what would this potential collaboration be like? Okay. Your name was in the hat. Oh, get out. You got pulled out with Billy Strings. Okay. And we were all just like, this would be the coolest collaboration ever. Yeah. Is there any insider information that you could say, I've met him, this could happen? Yeah, we live in the same town. What, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when's this going to happen? Well, I when don't are y'all going to jam on stage? Listen, if you are manifesting it through hat pulling, then we got to make it happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we both live in Nashville. I run into him all the time. Um, and we were supposed to do something together not too long ago. And um, I forget what happened. Something... Somebody got COVID or some stupid thing like that. Oh, but, no. Um, yeah, it's ne- it's like, uh, I feel like it's probably in- imminent at this point. That's uh, that's so fantastic. We were so, yeah. like, we all just got so excited. We were like, this is the perfect yeah. pairing. Like, yeah. of all the the names we drew that night, we're like, that's the one we yeah. want to happen. Oh, good. Okay, so we'll make just it happen. pushing that I'll out there know. for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the final question, and it's a heavy one, and it's an age-old question. Okay. The Rolling Stones or The Who? Oh, boy. Uh, For me, the Rolling Stones, and I'll tell you why. It's probably not any other reason than anybody else would say. My very favorite vocalist of all time is Lisa Fisher, who was with the Stones for 26 years. That's a good reason. She's like my idol, my mentor, my like the baddest woman on the planet. And so that's that's why, <laughs> not for any other reason other than that. That's a great reason why. Yeah, I can get down with that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, well, that was fantastic. Did I pass? You passed all okay, of it. Cool. You passed great. with flying colors. You did great. That was fantastic. <laughs> so now we get to talk about you and your artwork that you've created in this fantastic album that you've put out there called "Something in the Water" that I absolutely adore. Thank you. So. I think you, I've listened to your other albums, and I think you took some serious strides and growth as an artist yeah. with your new, most recent album. Is that something you agree with? Or is yeah. the, have you seen any of that? Yeah. You know, when you go several years without making a record, I think there's so much growth that happens just on a human level. Um, and I, I, I haven't made, for as long as I've been in this industry, I haven't made a, a whole ton of records. You know, this is number four, I think. So the growth that happens, you know, in 20 years from the time I made my first album until now should should be pretty extreme. I think that um, one of the things as an artist that you ask of people is that um, is that they think about that from a from a human standpoint and not necessarily from like a, an art artistic standpoint exactly. Um, you know, anytime you're used to the last album that somebody put out and then they put out something that's mm-hmm. significantly different, you know, people mm-hmm. get a little put off by it, a little scared of it, a little like, well, it wasn't what I was expecting and, and it's hard for them. But, you know, what I hope that people realize is that, you know, we're all, we're all people and we're all changing and growing and, and that includes the music that we make. So I think if somebody's making the same record over and over and over again, then it probably feels pretty inauthentic. Yeah. You know, people are growing. So, um, yeah, I think this is a, this is a, this feels to me like the most whole piece that i've put out ever so what do you mean by like whole what what about it makes it whole just to like you? it's got a little of everything um you know as far as subject matter as far as um styles as far as arrangements um you know i think there's a sophistication about it that um in, in the arrangements that's really special 
mm-hmm. you know, just stuff like that. One of the things that maybe I, I'm misreading this, but something that I kind of picked up on is like songs like by the river and innocence. It's really about growing up in your youth and where you came from. How much of that, I mean, is that an overall theme of the album or am I just kind of making that up? Um, I mean, I, it's definitely on those songs. Those songs in particular, yeah. Those are were things that I really wanted to, um, I, f- I felt really adamant about writing about. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the some of the album is storytelling straight up. It's about somebody else's mm-hmm. life. It's about potentially, you know, who knows? It's a made up thing. It's a, happened to a friend of yeah. mine. Some of it's autobiographical. Um, but those two in particular are very much just a, a page from my life. You know, I, I had the distinct pleasure of growing up on 300 acres in the middle of the woods in Vermont. That's all old family land. And um, I always kind of looked at, you know, because it's winter eight months a year, <laughs> you got to really sort of be at one with nature or else you'll lose your mind. And I sort of always looked at like the forests and the fields and the waterfall and the brook and the river and the whatever as like, family members, you know, as like aunties and uncles that helped raise me. Um, I spent so much time out there just by myself. Um, and, and it was in those in those times where I got to figure out, you know, who I was and who I wanted to be. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily something that everybody gets to experience. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of wanted to pay homage to um, just to, to that, you know, and those moments. And and that it's just a really important piece of my history, really beautiful piece of land. And, um, you know, it's sort of just like riddled with family legacy. My grandparents bought it when they were super young and it's the land I grew up on. My parents built the house. The only structures on the entire property were my grandparents' house and, my, and our house. Cool. Um, and everything else was just, you know, land. So. Well, and that's, you went back to Vermont to yeah. write the album. How much of being in Vermont, inspired writing that i mean if you'd written if you had done the album in nashville or texas would those songs have come Um, out you think i don't know i don't know that's the beauty of um of things but i i maybe one of them but certainly not both of them you know we were we were out there it was the middle of winter snow is nine feet deep you know and we were waking up every morning and building fires and it was a really beautiful experience and um Nick, who I wrote most of the album with, is also a Vermonter. And so he really gets, you know, how important that is. And and um, it, it just felt right to us to, to go write the album up there. And that was the sole purpose of the trip, really, mm-hmm. was let's go write an album in Vermont. And it was um, in, we wrote it in January of, of 2021. So we had all been in lockdown for a little too long. It was <laughs> starting to go crazy. Still, like nobody could really be on the road. And, yeah. and we all missed each other and missed playing music and, and all that kind of stuff. So we decided to ramp up for when we knew we could do something about it, you know? So you had a incredible lineup of artists that played on the album with you, but there's one artist that I want to call out in particular. That's Celise Henderson. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've seen her twice this year and both times have just been yeah. astounding. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with her and like how y'all started working together? I would love to. Yeah, thank you for asking about her. So she, she and I met uh, whenever Fish covered that Bowie record for Halloween. So Lise and Joe Lampert and I were the singers on that gig, and that's where we met. Um, was in rehearsals for that, and just instantly hit it off. And so we've been a, a pretty major part of each other's lives since that moment. 
Um, and she is having such a moment right now. I'm so proud. I'm so stoked for people to discover her and rediscover her and, uh, and all of that. So she was in town one day. She's been writing a lot in Nashville lately um, and was doing some stuff for Gibson. And I just stole her one day and I said, I just, I need you. And I, I just kidnapped her, <laughs> brought her to the studio. And I was like, I need you to sing on this song and this song and this song and this song. She's like, yeah, okay, whatever you need. So um, I'm very grateful for that. But That's awesome. Yeah. That's what friends. Okay. So you have several songs, uh, specifically fairy tale and guilty where the vocal performance is just stellar. Mm. Um, and you're incredibly talented as a trumpeter as well. So what is the balance for you in, finding time to say, Hey, I really want to focus on vocals or really want to focus on doing the trumpet for the song. I think as you get to get to know a song, the, the answer to that question Mm -hmm. presents itself. I did want to have a nice balance overall on the record of, of trumpet to, to, um, to vocals. Like when we did only time will tell, there's like the last, third of that is like sort of this conversation between trumpets and vocals. Um, and I wanted to do something cool like that, where it's, a, it's essentially like a conversation between a horn section and a vocal section who all also happens to be me, but um, that's just because that's part of who I am. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I think there's, I focused mostly on vocals first, but always with the intent that, there's going to be some trumpet on this and there's going to be some trumpet on that. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think there's a nice balance. I think um, nothing mm-hmm. feels forced, you know, and if there's going to be some things with no trumpet on it, that's absolutely fine. And I, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, should I just, done, should I have just done an instrumental at some point and just really like, you know, well, I didn't, that's fine. Right, next one. <laughs> so which one did you do first? Were you a trumpet or a singer first? Yeah, I was a trumpet player first. Okay. So, did, were vocals something that you just kind of came into or was it something you you knew you wanted? How did that work out? I always sang. Um, I grew up, you know, always involved in like musical theater since I was like, could walk. Um, and so I always sang, sang in the choir. It was always sort of a part of my life, but nothing ever focused on and nothing I ever took lessons for. And, you know, trumpet was always something that I was always working on and practicing and taking lessons for and striving for the next thing and, and saw as my career and I always sort of like sang as like a throwaway thing if someone needed me to do that. And when I joined Trey's band in like 2000, I, you know, sang a little backup for him. But it wasn't until about my mid-20s where I thought like, oh, I guess I could do this too. <laughs> you know, and you you sort of have dreams as a kid of like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm going to be musician whatever that happens to mean to somebody but you don't think about the logistics of things and and about the fact that like I could potentially get more work as a singer or as someone who does both like you don't think about that as a kid because why would you like you don't think about jobs and money and whatever and so as I got as I started gigging a lot more it became apparent that I could work a lot more if I actually did both. And and when I turned 25, it was sort of like, I don't even know what my own voice sounds like because I'm always supporting someone else. So, you know, if you're supporting like a singer-songwriter who's sort of subdued and whatever, it's like that's what you're matching to. Like you're you're in a support role. Um, and so me as like a soloist and a, as a front man, it's 
that's a whole different kind of thing. And I really had to learn. I had to figure out what my own voice sounded like in that capacity, which was a really fun uh, journey, you know, and I'm still discovering it. But I never gave any thought of it until I was in my mid-20s. I asked that question because I was once talking to a, a guitarist. I mean, he was just an absolute shredder of guitar player. And when I was talking to him about his album, he was saying that in the last year, he spent like maybe 40 hours playing the guitar, but he spent more time working on his vocals than his guitar. And I was like, well, dude, you're so talented at the guitar. And he's like, I know, but I'm more challenged by playing or by trying to be a singer right now. Is that yeah. something that you've kind of experienced in like writing the album and things like that? Well, the the interesting thing about that is that to me, trumpet is so much more challenging because mm. singing has always come fairly easy to me. Trumpet, you have this giant, stupid hunk of metal in the way of what you're trying to say. <laughs> um, and if you don't practice it, it you, you really show your ass. I mean, you know, if you don't practice for three days, I end up sounding like a fourth grader. It's really, it's really? brutal. Um, singing is, for me, the easiest way for me to convey everything that I mean, whether it's, you know, emotional or musical or whatever. And so I almost feel like it's cheating to sing <laughs> because it's not, <laughs> it's not as hard as the other one. You know, I have to work a lot harder at trumpet than I do with, with singing. So for whatever it's worth. Well, so you're talking about missing a couple of days and being rusty. What about when, weren't you on like a tab tour when you got COVID and we're out for a little bit? Mm -hmm. Was that Yep. So what was, could, I mean, could you play during that time or how would, how did that go? No, I was real sick. That was that first, first batch, first go around for everybody, um, which is um, lovingly referred to within the band as the survivor tour because we just dropped <laughs> off one at a time. Y'all really four, did. You really did. <laughs> four couple survivors left, man. And that was, well, we'll talk about it in a minute, but that was Desron's first tour with the band. And all of his friends, just like, you know, we're all, we, we've all been friends with him. Trey's the only one who didn't know him. We were all super good friends with him. And so all of his friends were getting picked off one by one. We're like, welcome to the tour, buddy. You're on your own. Um, but no, when I, when I got it, I had like the full 10 day, like, you know, lung stuff, couldn't breathe. Well, that, that whole thing. It was really scary, actually. Yeah. And, and thankfully, it was so far into it that like, you know, doctors have learned so much about it by that point. And I actually am so grateful to this um, one person who works in a hospital who legit hit my DMs when he saw that I was off the tour with COVID. And he said, if you have any lung things, just make sure that you lie on your stomach, which is super counterintuitive, but just, just do it. And so I thought, well, okay, whatever. And then sure enough, like in like day five, six, seven, eight, I was having a really hard time breathing. And so I did, I lay on my stomach and it like relieves all that pressure on your lungs and allows you to get a full breath. And I was so grateful. So thank you, Randall, who said that to me. Wow. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I couldn't, I, I could barely talk during that point. I certainly couldn't practice. I, I probably went, you know, three weeks without touching the horn. Um, and then you just pay the price later. <laughs> well, that, that's what I wanted to know. How was it returning after that time? Like, was it, it a sucks. struggle or what, what yeah, sucks about it? Like, sucks. this is so foreign to me. It's not somebody I've never touched. I've touched guitars. I've touched bass, but I've never touched yeah. a horn instrument. How, what's so difficult about it? Can you explain? Like that? all your facial muscles that you use, um, you know, get weaker and weaker. And, and um, that, I mean, that's most of it is that like, you know, we refer to it as like, 
you know, building up your chops or whatever. And all of those muscles go away so quickly. Um, and you have to just practice to get them back. And it's not, it's not anything foreign to us. We do it all the time. And we're always trying to make them stronger, make them stronger. But there's going to be setbacks where you, you know, it's going to be things beyond your control where for a couple of days, for whatever reason, you aren't able to practice. Um, and then you just got to put in extra work to get back to where you were and then extra work to get better. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah. I'm glad you're feeling better and I'm glad you Thank still you. sound great now. So congratulations. <laughs> I'm glad you got it back. So yeah, no, uh, no, me too. So I read in Relics, you did a track by track breakdown of each out or each song on the album there's one song that you didn't go into too much detail about but I, it's one of my favorites on there and it's for you okay i want to know a little bit more about that song can you tell me about what inspired you to write it and just some of who yeah. played on it and everything like that yeah yeah um so for you is probably the um you know the funkiest track mm -hmm. on the album um and st story wise is uh this is not an autobiographical song. <laughs> it's essentially like a a tongue-in-cheek man-eater song. Um, this is this is definitely a, a true story about someone in my life. It's just not autobiographical. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's just like it's a story of a woman like really coming into her own and some little boy who comes in and sort of falls in love with her and she's like oh no, no no that's not that's not what this is that's what you thought this was oh my bad uh that's not what this is so um that's what that was about but um uh, who was on that so lisa's on that one nick is on one christian mcbride connor elms um who played drums on the whole album who's uh we started our first band together when we were seven and eight years old Wow. Um, so it was a real pleasure to, to make an album with him. Um, yeah, we, we grew up together. And um, so it was fun to bring together those, those folks. So, so Nick and I, Nick Casarino um, and Christian McBride and I made a, the record previously to this one, Nexus. It's just the three of us, basically. And so for this one, I wanted to make it more um, full band, fleshed out. And so we called Connor. So it's sort of this cool evolution of friendships in my life. Nick and I have been friends for 20 years. Christian and I have been friends at this point for 10 years. Connor and I have been friends for 35 years, 35 <laughs> years. Um, and so it's cool to like, you know, add in particular uh, musicians and particular energies and, and people that you know would, would uh, mesh together. I mean, that's the most important thing to me, even before yeah. musicianship is like, is making sure that everybody meshes personally you know personality so I, did, when you tell the story it makes sense why you chose a funk direction for the song however mm -hmm. in the context of the album it kind of stands out because it, nothing else on the album is really anywhere near as funky as that especially but it's more of a yeah. like a jazz-based album in a lot of ways yeah what was the choice to include that when everything else is kind of in a different vein on the album I think I, I think it it needed it. There's a couple yeah. things on the album that that I felt were really necessary. That was one of them. The group that was was one of them. I didn't write by the river until the album was complete. Oh. I thought like this is missing something for me. And we recorded many more songs than ended up on the on the album. Okay. And so when we had chosen what we had chosen, I said it's like it's missing something for me. It's missing like a it's missing a, a party. It's missing like it was missing a party. It was missing lyrically like, a, you know, I don't consider myself like a hardcore feminist in any way, but it was missing 
um, something celebrating like young girlhood. And I wrote by the river in about three and a half minutes. Gosh. It was one of those. I was like, I, I just, and that never happens to me. Like, I'm not one of those people. But I was like, this is what it's missing. It's missing a party. It's missing like a fuck yeah, like let's go everybody together. It's like, you know, I grew up with brothers and boy cousins and playing in the dirt and playing in the mud and wanted to be just like them, chasing after them and like, you know, scuffing up my knees and falling on my bike. And I I was a super tomboy. And I just like, I don't know, I just like the spirit moved me to sort of just write about that experience. And that's why it's smack dab in the middle of the album. I just felt like it was that that was missing. So there's also that I wanted to do something that was just Christian in me, just a duo, which is why guilty is the way that it is. Um, everything just, you know, I don't think there's the, you know, stylistically, the album is kind of like all over the map, which yeah. is exactly what it feels like to be inside my brain. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I have a hard time categorizing people say like, well, what kind of music is it? And that to me is like, asking me for all the numbers of pi like i don't know how to answer the question and if other people want to answer the question i i would i would be grateful because to me it's just music to me it's just like what what we do and what felt right in in the moment but i'm there's there's elements every kind of music in there as far as i'm concerned but most people don't want that as an answer they just want an answer no that's (laughs) great i mean that's what i'm hearing you have an answer for me do you have an no, answer for me? What, I'm, what does this album sound like to you? Like, what do you categorize it as if you had to categorize it? I mean, you're right, though. Like, every every song kind of has its own personality. And, yeah. and I think and what I'm hearing, and maybe this is dumb, and maybe I'm just dumb, but, you know, the most important thing for you when track setting the tracks together was being true to yourself. Yeah. And so that the perfect for you is the amalgamation of all the different songs and the different styles put together. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing that I noticed about this, the album, and it's just because it's one of the first sounds you hear is the upright fretless bass. And that, I mean, to me, that set the tone for the album because I heard that throughout the whole album. And to me, that's why I connected as a jazz album, just because of that bass. However, you know, the other songs, they're not all that jazzy. And so I think that's, I'm just speaking in circles at this point, but I mean, really and truly, it really is an amalgamation of just who you are and your influences. And for you to be so closely associated to the the jam band world, I think it fits perfectly with that just because, you know, that is jam band in a nutshell is just the fusion of funk and blues and all these different genres put together. And I think you nailed it in that sense. Cool, man. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So the last question I want to ask about the album. Uh, so for a while, Dave Matthews band was essentially my Grateful Dead. Um, and so when I was listening, I wasn't looking at the track list. I was just listening while I was working. And when I heard When I'm Weary, I'm like, this sounds really familiar. Oh, wait, this is a Dave <laughs> song. And so I was like, wait, what's happening right now? It caught me off guard. And if I'm going to be completely honest with with you, and please don't tell Dave this, I like your version better. I think you did better justice to the song. Congratulations. So what made you want to play that song? Oh, it's such an easy answer. Um, I was, I've known Dave for a really long time. Um, Probably 22 years. Um, And I've always 
admired him. I think he's an amazing songwriter, an amazing musician, great, you know, band leader, entertainer, all of those things. Um, when that album came out, that When I'm Weary is on, um, I thought, you know what? I haven't listened to a Dave Matthews record front to back in a decade. I was like, let's see what they got going on. I'm great friends with Jeff Coffin, you know, like all, all the, so many of the folks in the band. And so I was like, you know, just like from a, a friend musician standpoint, you know, the kindest thing that you can do musician to musician is listen to someone's art piece front to back. Um, and not just like what the label wants you to hear, what Spotify wants you to hear, what whatever, like listen to it as it was intended. And so I got on a plane and I put it on front to back. Um, and when I got to When I'm Weary, I was a in like a an insane sobbing mess. Like I looked like a crazy woman. And I just I thought what a beautiful song, what a beautiful message. Um it's so simple. It's just like a simple, gorgeous message of supporting each other. Um and it was short and I hit the back button at least 15 times in a row. Like no, no, no joking. And I cried at least the first 12 times. Just <laughs> something about it was so moving to me. And it was the, it was everything. It was the orchestration. It was the lyrics. It was his voice was so stunning on it. I was like, man, I didn't know that you were capable of this. Like from, from a technical standpoint, his voice is so beautiful on that. Anyway. So I sort of put it in my back pocket and thought someday I'm going to cover that. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Um, and so we just, we did it. We recorded it. Uh, what is this? We throw it away, we throw it away kind of thing, you know? And it turned out it's, it's one of my favorite arrangements. It's one of my favorite, you know, songs. Um, I wish I wrote it. <laughs> I really wish I wrote it. Um, <laughs> And it just like it just belongs closing out the album to me. Like just that's to me where where it felt exactly right. So yeah, I just think it's the most beautiful song and selfishly I just wanted to sing it. That's just that simple. It's like I said, I think you did that song better than he did, quite frankly. Like I, I prefer your version over his. And I say that as somebody who's seen him an excessive amount of times in concert. Yeah. Um so you did a very yeah. great job. Uh, you should yeah. be proud. But but I mean, even you only covered two songs on the album. Is that yeah. correct? Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah. I mean, when I listened to your Red Rock show, you had more than, you had several covers peppered into your set. Is Was that a conscious decision not to put more covers on the album or just what felt are right? We, which Red Rock show are you talking about? Uh, the one you did just a couple of weeks ago. Um, just I think the most were, recently? Yeah, yeah, with Green Sky? Yes, that one. Yeah, that was um, almost entirely covers. Yeah, you 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 got to know your audience. Um, mm. it, it depends on what kind of gig it is. So already for Green Sky, for like bluegrass fans to come out and hear a monstrous funk project is you're already asking a lot of them, right? Because that's <laughs> what they came to see necessarily. Um, and so at least like it seems like to offer them a bunch of original music that they've never heard before uh, in a style that they don't necessarily want to hear. That's asking a lot of folks. Um, and, and, and you go into every gig like that. Like, you know, for me, I do so many different kinds of things with different lineups and, and, and different size venues and different, you know, your opening or your headline, it, it, all this stuff comes into play. So I always think the, the, you know, the first question after you've built the band is what are we going to play? What do these people want to hear? 
Um, and so we threw in a couple originals, but but everything else was covers. Everything else was something that would be accessible to the listener. And whether it's like something that everybody knows all the words to, which you pepper in one or two of those. So everybody's like, ah, yeah, yeah. I know this one. <laughs> or something that like, they're like, oh, that's familiar. I'm like, I might know the chorus to that. You know, it's like a B side or a C side or something. But all of that is, you know, there's there's a lot to think about when you do a show. And But that's like, you know, number one. Unless someone is coming to see your band and your music and your project, it's always just going to be an awareness. Uh, so we did a lot of covers, but it's because... We wanted them to enjoy the show. <laughs> well, I, I mean, just based on the audience recording, it sounds like it was well-received. It sounds like the show went off well. It was embarrassingly well-received. I am so honored that, um, you know, Red Rock, you know how early those shows start. Those shows start, they, it's still light out, and and some of them start at 6 p.m. And so for people to show up that early, and I, I really, we all really appreciated it. But it was full by the time we were on the, you know, the third song and it stayed that way and and i'm so grateful to people for showing up early and coming to hang out y'all covered rock and roll led zeppelin mm-hmm. that said i think yeah that was a killer version Thanks. again loved it it's awesome <laughs> like i could see why you would pepper that in there because i mean it yeah. got me going and i was just sitting there at work like yeah. it was great like all oh, these people know this one they want to hear this right oh yeah, yeah. They hear this. <laughs> and then once you do stuff that they know and they're like, oh this is a cool version then you can throw an original because like you, you know, you got them a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you throw an original it's after some Zeppelin. Well, I mean, that's a perfect segue to like get a, like get, get a crowd going and some yeah. Zeppelin. You can't go yeah, wrong with that. Cheating really is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever become a musician, I'll know to put that one in my back. Definitely like, put some Zeppelin in there and people will <laughs> eat out of your hand. <laughs> well, so, I mean, that's, I wanted to ask you about, you grew up very jazz focused in a lot of ways from what I've read and understood. Did you, I mean, and you're very well regarded in the jam band scene now. I mean, that's, that's how I know you. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my bias. Did you ever see yourself sliding into that? Or is that just something that you kind of fell into? The jam band part of it? Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I was positive that I was going to have um, a very long end um, and successful jazz career. <laughs> <laughs> that's positive um that was every everything that i was working toward every dream that i had you know i wanted to headline the montreux jazz festival i wanted to you know like with my quintet or whatever and that's exactly what i was um on track to do in my own mind um and then i met trace so young um i was 17 when we started working together and i was 20 when he formed the band and so I had no idea that he would be, he would end up being such a part of my life. I thought this was like, you know, a one-time thing or I'll, I'll do one tour and I'll keep it moving and whatever. I had no idea that he was going to completely um, take over my life, which I'm very grateful for. He's a <laughs> lovely person. And, um, you know, I love him a lot. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't a fish fan. Um, I grew up in Vermont, so you can't help but know, obviously, who they are. Um, but I was not a fan when he called me. I was like full jazz and classical n- nerd and wanted nothing to do with anything related to anything other than those two things. So, you know, I did the session with him and thought like, I'll never see this guy again. Um, that was fun, but like, okay, back to work. And um, I would instead end up spending my entire life with him. <laughs> so 
what do I know? Well, that's one of the things that when I was thinking about these questions, I was thinking, you know, jazz is known for its improvisation. Like that's, I was speaking with a jazz journalist and we were talking about kind of blue and he was just talking about even after 40 years, he still comes back to that album because of the improvisation. Yeah. So there has to be a link for you in the improvisation of jazz that makes it easier to slide into the jam band world. Definitely, Am I correct? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of similarities and, and with Trey in particular, um, you know, there is a lot of improvisation, but there's also a lot of arranging that goes into it too. Um, so that the arranging is so that we can, you know, have fun and forget it and improvise and all that kind of stuff. But so much of what he does is composed and, and he comes from a compositional standpoint. So they're really not that different um, when, when you really break it down. I mean, and, and again, like, also music is music in in that whole going back to that conversation about genres it's like you know music is music we all do a lot of things we all uh you know like a lot of different kinds of music you know and there's there's plenty of jazz in sly and the family stone and there's plenty of sly and the family stone in the jam world and you know it all gets beautifully muddled so i just say music is music well so i mean talking about trey You've been with him for 20 plus years now. How that's uncommon to have that kind of longevity with yeah. bands. Yeah. How does that make you feel? I mean, just as a musician to have that kind of longevity with a band leader. Yeah, it it's um to watch him work at like the, it's not a mistake that he has a band for 20 20 years and a band for 30s whatever years you know it's it's not that's that's there's no fluke about that watching his work ethic and and how much he cares is so inspiring and i wish that everybody could like spend a day with him or something like that to to see how hard he works but he's really been um instrumental in showing through action how how it can be I think so many people, you know, musicians get popular and just sort of rest on their laurels. And his whole uh, motto in life is it's so good, it should be even better. So like whenever you have a great show or that song really worked or whatever it is, it's like his brain immediately goes to, you know, it's like a like a improvisational comedy troupe where it's like, yes, and, you know, it's like you're always looking for a way to make it even better. And it's not uh, a lack of contentment. It's like, these people deserve more. We can make this better for them. And that's how he's managed to have two incredibly successful bands for decades and decades and decades is because he never stops thinking, um, how do we make this better for them? How do we make the experience better? How do we make the music better? How do we, you know, and that's that's much more uncommon than even a band having um, a long history is is his dedication. So it's for that to be my sort of mentor for life. It's I'm really lucky. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and that's I was thinking about the the Ghost of the Forest project that he did, and yeah. you know, it's not it's not revolutionary like the first Fish album or anything like that. But the way that I've always viewed it as a Fish fan is just it, it's incredible that that's a late career album truthfully mm -hmm. from him yeah. i mean it really is just a very special piece of art yeah and so that's what i wanted to ask you about is 
you know, you got to play in when they did that brief, that small tour shows around that album. What was it like going from playing different sets every night, doing some jamming to playing the exact same set every night? Yeah, I really loved it. I, I'll be honest. I, I really, um, I loved it for a couple of reasons. First of all, that whole project was essentially like a, a gift to his best friend who passed away from cancer, like childhood best friend. They've been friends for a very long time and we all knew him and we all loved him. And so to, to get to do that with him was a, was a real honor. Um, and he also had an epiphany when he was, when he was putting the band together, you know, he wrote all these songs for his friend. And then when they were talking about making the album, I was like, well, who do we, you know, who do I want? It's like, this is such a special thing for me right now. And then he had this epiphany that like his two favorite people really had never played together before that Fishman and Tony Marcellus had never played together before. And they've been such a part. I mean, Tony played Trey's wedding 30 years ago, you know, like they, they both go back so far, but they've never. So it was really important for him in putting the band together to have people who were really meaningful. He's like, I wanted to have all my favorite, favorite people in this band. Um, because of what it was celebrating. And so to be able to have that experience all together with him every night, and it was, I think it was like nine shows or something. It wasn't a lot of shows, but so much work went into it. It's like only he could, you know, no one else would ever put that much work into something that, you know, has nine shows. Um, but the, you know, the production, the beautiful backdrop and the, you know, we had, we had all those, um, Outfits were all custom made and we had many, 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 many hours of rehearsal, but it felt like we were doing this. We were doing this for CCOT. This was like a send off to CCOT and, and I, we were all just so honored to be a part of it. And then there was one two nighter at the United theater in New York, which is was, was two nights. And he was having like a total meltdown. He's like, these people were here last night. I can't, <laughs> We can't play the same show. It's like, honey, like, yes, you can. And if they came back, it's because they enjoyed themselves. They know that you're not going to play an entirely different set list. But it was such a mindfuck <laughs> for him that, like, if you listen to night two of the United United Palace, um, the show is kind of like whack. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, he's like, you can see the struggle of, well, I have to make this different. And so there was some jamming and there was, so I was like, okay, I kind of liked it better the way it was, but okay, I understand. Um, but there was, there's also, there's such an element of surprise in what we do every night, which is sort of anxiety inducing because you don't ever really like know what's going to happen. Um, no matter how well prepared you are, I'm mean, going to have 20 years of, of preparation for tab shows and I still get anxious. But with this, there was sort of a, a really nice, we can, we can just like stand there knowing that we know what our job is. We know what our role is. We know what's going to happen. Um, and that is a feeling that I have never felt with him. And so for eight of those nine shows, that's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> then the other one was like nah here we are okay i should have known better that's hilarious <laughs> i kind of feel bad for trey now like i'm kind of like the poor guy he just wanted to you know he owes he has such a respect for his fans that's yeah. incredible that he would yeah. feel that kind of pressure yeah. even on a tour like that like i mean oh, that's yeah. incredible yeah he lives in a constant state of like how do i make this better for everybody 
It's like his number one concern. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So uh, y'all are about to go out on tour with yeah. a little band called Goose. Yes. So have are you a Goose fan? What what's your thoughts on Goose so far? Um, I the I am a Goose noob. Um Okay. I of course know who they are. We met. They came to hang out at our show at um Sweetwater 420 in Atlanta, and that's where we all met. But I have not checked out a show. Um I haven't seen them. I've been um we're just going to go on tour and I'm going to find out all at once. So is there any kind of, I saw that there's going to be unique collaborations. Is there going to, can you give any insider information, what that might look like? Where did like, you or? see that when you say, I saw that there were going to be. It was, it was on Trey.com. It was on oh, his yeah? website. It was, oh, it was great. part of the, like, it was like a set from Trey, a set from Goose and unique collaborations. Okay. Well, so I that's, know nothing about nothing. And that's, okay. what I, that's why I'm asking where, <laughs> that's you, okay. where you saw that. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure some things will happen uh, because they always do, but I have no idea. There's, I'm the last one to know at all. Time. <laughs> that's okay. Fans know far before the band members know, just know that. Well, that's, I was just trying to get excited about you potentially sitting on, on like a Mad Hooven or one of their songs and just like, just the imagine, like going back to like Billy Strings and you jamming together. Yeah. That's just one of those things that I get super excited about. Yeah, like yeah. No, I'm that sure alone. that things will happen. And I don't know what a Mad Hooven is, but I am sure that um, <laughs> I will find out and it'll be great. It's the song that you're going to sit in on okay, with great. Goose. Okay, so great. that's one of their great songs that they jam well. So that's the one that you're going to sit in. I'm manifesting okay. that one all as well. All right. Great, great song. Jam well. Uh, <laughs> dear Rick, I actually I'm playing with Rick all weekend with Phil. I'm about to see him tomorrow. That's right. So that'll be like the first time we've ever played together. That's incredible. So we'll come into Goose having three nights of, uh, of we'll be ahead of the game. We'll, we will have, and uh, the whole horn section is with me too. Natalie and James are also on those gigs, so. We're all going to hang Well, out. that's quite the crash course to prepare for the tour to play with Phil for three nights. I mean, yeah. that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it'll all be great. That's all of my questions, Jim. Thank okay. you so much for hanging well, out with easy. me. Like, I mean, if you want to keep talking, we can keep talking, but no, like, that's probably, all I had prepared. I should probably go that's back okay. Door. Jim, thank you so much for hanging out. This was a blast for me. I love talking to you. I'm such a fan. I can't wait for you to pair up with Billy Strings and release a great album and that me and my friends can get excited about. So <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out today with me. Yeah, but thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yesterday's Concert. Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. <laughs>